The scripture for this morning comes from Matthew 18, 21, and 22. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Should I forgive them as many as seven times? Jesus said, not just seven times, but rather as many as 70 times, 77 times seven. The word of God for the people of God. Praise be to God. Take a moment to pray with me, please. God, we thank you so much for being in your house and worship together. Lord, we know this morning that you are here. We ask that your Holy Spirit would instruct us, comfort us, or confront us. Amen. Last week, if you were here, you heard my dear friend Elizabeth say that someone named Richard had called her to ask her what in the world she had done to my church while I was out of town. Hmm. I probably should apologize to Elizabeth, but I will tell you after hearing Elizabeth's inspirational message last week, I realized what I had done is very simply ask her the wrong question. What I should have asked her was what can I do, what can we do in order to continue this church's work to be a community of imperfect people transformed by the perfect love of God and change the world together. Debbie and I have been members of this church for 17 years. And we've seen this church do so many things to change the world in here, around here, and across the, the, the world, in Africa, South America, Guatemala. So we should all ask, what is it we can do to ensure that that continues? Elizabeth started us out perfectly. The first step, of course, is to love one another, love your neighbors as yourself. Love one another as Jesus loves you. Like Elizabeth, I started out to write what I thought this sermon should be about. I went through about four different topics. And then in working with another member of a different church, I realized exactly what was needed. And it struck me that what I needed to talk about was the topic of a spirit of forgiveness. Jesus is clear about the importance of forgiveness. His parable about the prodigal son is about, really about a father's forgiveness. His story about the woman caught in adultery that was about to be stoned is about community forgiveness. And the parable of the two debtors is about eternal forgiveness. There are many other stories in the Bible that Jesus teaches and are in the Old Testament that teach us that forgiveness is one of the core fundamental values for each and every one of us. But perhaps nowhere is that more clear than in what Jesus taught his disciples and by them taught us in the Lord's Prayer. Forgive our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Jesus teaches us that we are meant to have a spirit of forgiveness to live out our Christian lives. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, made the importance of forgiveness very unmistakable. He wrote, it, made, it is perfectly clear 
that if we do not forgive, we shall not be forgiven. There are no two ways about it. That's pretty tough. Pretty tough, but also very clear. But still, most of us struggle to forgive those who have hurt us. Why? Why don't we do a better job of forgiving those who have hurt us as Jesus teaches us? Yeah, the answer may be as simple as we don't want to. Pretty simple. Get forgive them? Uh-uh. Not going to do it. But there's so much more to it. Forgiveness isn't about feeling okay with someone. If you wait for that to happen, you would never forgive them because every time you thought about that transgression, that same emotion would come up. So what is forgiveness? It is not feeling okay with someone. The Greek word that Jesus uses in the Bible is me. This word has three meanings. One, to let alone. Two, to let go, to keep no longer. And three, to leave be, to go away. That is worth repeating. To forgive is to let alone, to let go, and to leave be. We can see that how to let alone in the story Jesus tells a little later in Matthew. And that is 18, 24 through 35, in case anyone wants to look it up. And Jesus said, Oops, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is, a, is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle accounts, they brought to him a servant who owed him 10,000 bags of gold. Because the servant didn't have enough to pay it back, the, matter, <clears throat> the master ordered that he should be thrown in jail along with his children, his wife, and everything he had would be sold to pay off the debt. But the servant fell down on his knees, looked before him, and said, please be patient with me, and I'll pay you back later. And the master had compassion on the servant and released him and forgave his debt. When the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 coins. He grabbed him around the throat and said, pay me back what you owe me. Then this fellow fell down on his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I'll pay you much. But he, the first servant refused. Instead, he threw him into prison until he paid back his debt. When his fellow servants saw what happened, they were deeply offended and they came and told their master that all that had happened. His master called the first servant and said, you wicked servant, I forgave you the debt because you were appealed to me. Shouldn't you also have mercy on your fellow servant? His master was furious and handed him over to the guard responsible for punishing prisoners until he paid the whole debt. And then Jesus said, my heavenly father, will also do the same to you if you don't forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. That last part, my Father will also do the same to you if you don't forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Let me try to put that in perspective, that, that story. Uh, in first century Roman times, a bag of gold was generally worth 15 years what the average servant got paid. 
did you hear that? It took 15 years for an average labor to pay one bag of gold. That means what this first servant owed was equal to 150,000 years of service. Kind of hard to repay, I'd say. But Jesus uses hyperbole, as he often does in the Bible, so that we understood the magnitude of the death that was owed. Now, the king, God, of course, in the story, certainly understood the concept of let alone. The first servant was let alone by his creditor, God. But the first servant didn't leave the man who owed him money alone. He hounded him. As soon as the first servant left, he found this other man and began to hound him and demand payment. Now, to put those two in comparison, what the first servant owed would be like the ocean. What the second servant owed would be like a single drop of water in comparison. And yet the first servant refused to understand what he'd been given and give the same to his false servant. In fact, he offered no forgiveness at all. He did not leave him alone, but instead imprisoned him. That's unbelievable. Just imagine how we'd feel if we had been given such a, such a forgiveness and refused to forgive somebody else. Imagine how somebody else would feel about that. We have to remember the first servant, when he was brought back into the king, wasn't put in jail because he owed the debt. God put him in, a king put him in jail, you could use either word, put him in jail because he forgave, refused to forgive someone else who owed him a debt, someone else who had a trespass. To go to that second point, to let go. There is no one who gives us the purest or best example of how to let go than Jesus. Jesus forgave far worse than we could ever imagine. We remember Jesus' words from the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what to do. Jesus forgave his enemies. Jesus forgave who, those who heaped insults upon him. Jesus forgave those who mocked him as he was dying and gambled for his clothes. No more perfect example of the way we should treat others than the way Jesus treated those that had put him on that cross and nailed his hands and his feet and put that spirit through him. Could be very few things, even nearly as close as that. Finally, there is one to leave be. There's no better example of how to leave be than Nelson Mandela, who once said as he was walking out of the prison he'd been in for 27 years, as I walked out of the jailhouse door toward the gate that would lead to my freedom, I knew if I didn't leave my bitterness and hatred behind, I'd still be in prison. An amazing amount of forgiveness after 12 and 27 years. But Nelson Mandela went on to show that he meant what he said when he left prison. I'd like to read you an account of his from his own words. After becoming president, I asked him, some of my bodyguard members, to go for a walk downtown. We stopped to eat when I realized that the at the table that was right in front of ours, there was a single man waiting to be served. 
When he was served, I told one of the soldiers, go ask that man to join us. The soldier went and transmitted my invitation. The man stood up, took his plate, and sat next to me. While eating, his hands shook constantly, and he didn't lift his head from the food. When we finished, he waved at me without even looking. Mandela stuck out his hand and shook his hand as he walked away. One of my soldiers said to me, Mandiba, the man must be very sick as his hands wouldn't stop shaking while he was eating. Not at all. The reason for his tremor is another, I replied. That man was the guardian of the jail I was locked up in. Often, after he tortured me, I screamed and cried for water, and he came to humiliate me. He laughed at me, and instead of giving me water, he spat on my head. He wasn't sick. He was scared and shook, maybe fearing that I, now the president of South Africa, would send him to jail and do the same thing he did to me, torturing and humiliating him. But that's not me. That behavior is not part of my character or my ethics. Minds that seek revenge destroy states, while those that seek reconciliation build nations. I'm going to read that again, that last sentence that he wrote again. Minds that seek revenge destroy states, while those who seek reconciliation build nations. We could say that about churches as well. There are three things to remember about forgiveness. First, remember how much you have been forgiven. We have been given the gift of forgiveness through the blood of Jesus on the cross and the power of his victory over death through the empty tomb. Jesus came to pay a debt that he did not owe and that we could never repay. Second, remember holding on to pain only hurts you. The longer that you hold on to your pain, the longer it holds on to your life. Anne Lamont said it most succinctly, explaining, and I love this, not forgiving is like drinking rat poison and then waiting for the rat to die. Doesn't work that way. The third thing to remember is when you forgive others, it makes you more like Jesus. William Arthur Word said, we are most like men when we judge. We are most like Christ when we forgive. That is worth remembering. We are most like Christ, something we all should strive to be when we forgive. Forgiveness is far from easy. In fact, forgiving others after they have hurt you is against human nature. And if you try to forgive out of your own strength, your own heart, or your own love, you will always fail. It is only when you are empowered with the love of Christ and the strength of the Holy Spirit that you will be able to forgive like God. We can forgive others as we have been forgiven. And in doing so, we can be set free. Would you play with, pray with me, please? Dear Lord, thank you for having and loving us and forgiving us. Thank you for the example of how to live and walk in peace and forgiveness. Lord, help us to find opportunities to live at peace with everyone. Although the world may teach us to hold a grudge, Lord, show us how to follow your way instead. Lord, instruct us in how to cultivate peace 
and walk free from bitterness. Give us heart for those that don't understand and help us to do always do walk in your love. Lord, please help us to forgive those who trespass against us. In Jesus' name, amen.